Welcome to your Tuesday Strip Sports Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand, excited to talk to you today about a bunch of things. Star Tribune reporter Rachel Blount will join me in a little while to talk about St. Thomas and that school's transition to Division One. We've got a whole bunch of good stuff. I'll play you the cleanest part of one of the most famous sound bites in Minnesota sports history in a little bit to set up a new segment. Plus, we'll talk a little bit about the new Vikings offensive coordinator, Clint Kubiak. But first, a little segment I like to call, What Did I Miss? I think we need to talk a little bit today about the NHL and its COVID-19 problem. Um, A lot of other sports obviously have had issues with COVID-19, have gone through these kind of early season struggles, if that's even the right word, because, you know, COVID-19 is far more than a struggle, especially in the uh, the greater population. But you know, NFL went through this, MLB went through this, NBA to a degree went through this, where games were postponed, they're trying to get a handle on it. It feels different to me in the NHL. It feels like a bigger problem, and maybe that's because it's hitting hard with the wild right now. We learned yesterday that two more wild players have been placed on the COVID list. That's 11. That's basically half of an active roster. Two more games postponed for a total of six games. So they've been basically shut down for about a week now um, when they learned of you know more positive tests when they were out in Colorado. So the Wild now shut down uh, an additional two games, six games total. Now what does this mean in the big picture? Why am I so worried about hockey as compared to other sports that have managed to kind of play through this, even if the optics of it and, honestly, the health of it hasn't looked great. Well, unfortunately, some of it might be due to the nature of the sport itself. In doing a little research, I went back and I found a Washington Post article from December. Uh, Researchers were trying to figure out why in youth sports that had been relatively safe across the board, at least you know compared to a lot of other situations, why there had been a lot of outbreaks traced to hockey compared to other sports, ice hockey. And here's a paragraph from that story verbatim. Ice hockey is an anomaly. Scientists are studying hockey-related outbreaks, hoping to find clues about the ideal conditions in which the coronavirus thrives and how to stop it. Experts speculate that ice rinks may trap the virus around head level in a rink that, by design, restricts airflow, temperature, and humidity. So even as the NHL seemingly tries to do more, they put in new protocols, even if you think those new protocols aren't enough, which is certainly a valid opinion, there might not be much more they can do, which is more of a problem here than I think that's a a unique problem to hockey than other sports if if there's only so much mitigation you can do beyond a bubble which hockey successfully pulled off for their postseason last year uh, that's a problem they they, there's we're starting to hear the calls that the NHL season needs to be shut down and we heard that in the we heard that with NFL we heard that with Major League Baseball They, they push through and maybe NHL will as well I'm le- I'm legitimately worried right now, though, about their ability to safely complete this season. Okay, before we get to the interview, you want some better news? How about Paige Beckers from UConn, uh, the freshman from Hopkins, Minnesota, uh, high school basketball team, just a year ago, uh, so dominant in Minnesota high school sports. She scored 31 points for UConn in a overtime win over South Carolina number one versus number two in that game Monday night 
Um, so impressive. She's now topped 30 points in three consecutive games. No UConn player has ever done that in the storied history of that program. Jalen Suggs, another excellent, you know, outstanding NBA-bound player, uh, formerly of Mini Haha Academy, now with Gonzaga. He had 24 points last night. So the Minnesota former preps now in their freshman seasons in college continue to dominate this season. Um, Beckers in particular, um, both of those games nationally televised on Monday and worth your while to watch if you have not watched those yet. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. I would like to welcome in Rachel Blount right now. Rachel covers a lot of different things at the Star Tribune. One of the things she has been covering a lot more lately is St. Thomas and the transition that school is making to Division I athletics. Rachel had a big story in this past Sunday's Star Tribune, also on startribune.com. Rachel, how are you doing today? Good, Mike. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for uh, thank you for coming on. I, I, it's an interesting, kind of fascinating topic right now as, you know, I think it got even more layers to it when, you know, not only when St. Thomas was pushed out of the MIAC, but they're still playing in it. And then, you know, making this whole transition in, in a pandemic environment, uh, so to speak. What, you know, let, let's first off talk about your story that you, you published on Sunday and just, you know, this last strange year in the, in the MAAC for St. Thomas, you know, as they transition from Division Three to Division One, and, and the emotions that kind of go with that. Yeah, this is the last year of a 100-year stay in the MIAC. St. Thomas was an original member, one of seven original members, and this is the only conference they have ever been in. So it's sort of melancholy for them. They are excited, obviously, about the transition to Division I that's coming up. They will officially make that change in July, this coming July. But 100 years of memories, and particularly on, at a place like St. Thomas, where so many of their coaches at St. Thomas also played there and have coached at St. Thomas in many cases for decades. Their two track coaches combined have coached there for 72 years. Hmm. It's just astonishing. So everybody is reminiscing through these last seasons, thinking about some of the uh, favorite moments that they have had and the memories they've made in the MIAC and people they've known, uh, coaches they've admired. So it was a lot of fun just to hear their memories and to hear about what the MIAC has meant to them. It's got to be kind of an interesting dual track for them to be on right now, to be playing in one thing and then you know, but also understanding like this is it and they're gearing up for something altogether different. It's not just a switch to a different division three conference. It is a giant leap forward. And then a lot of these same, same people will be involved in it, you know, three or four months from now that, you know, into this full on transition. Several of the coaches mentioned that in the months leading up to this truncated MIAC season, they've already been laying a lot of the groundwork for Division One. They've been doing budgeting. They've been doing scheduling. Uh, they've been, obviously, they've been doing recruiting. But they said that during this short little season, and of course, it's quite short because there will be no conference playoffs and the NCAA Division Three championships in all sports have also been canceled. So 
it's it's just these MIAC games in, in the regular season that they'll have. And the coaches said that they've put a lot of those preparatory tasks on hold for the next couple of months because they want to be all in on this season. They want their athletes to enjoy this last season in Division Three and the MIAC. They want to enjoy it themselves. So they're trying to live in the moment for a little while. One thing, though, that does point to the future that was sort of interesting to hear is some of the coaches are looking at this season as almost an audition for some athletes. Not all the athletes will be making that transition, even some of the underclassmen. The men's track team, for example, it's an 80-person team right now. They'll be cutting that down to about 45 for Division One. So the coach is going to be looking at, at guys during this season and, you know, starting to think about, okay, which guys are ready for division one and which guys may not be able to make this transition with us. Well, and imagine in, you know, the, the biggest, you know, highest, highest visibility sports, like, you know, football, men's and women's basketball, men's and women's hockey, the jump in competition level will be tremendous at a certain point, you know, there'll be, it'll be a ramping up and there, there's steps along the way, but um, as they think about that, that that's got to be an, an interesting thing that they're that they're dealing with too. Just like the the process of that, and and you know what athletes are coming with them, and what athletes, you know, they're recruiting right now that that aren't the kind of athletes they might have re- been able to recruit in the past. Absolutely, it's going to be interesting. I think these first few years to see how these rosters shake out for them. They clearly will have some holdovers. They'll have new kids coming in, and you're absolutely right. They're going to be getting student athletes that they would not have gotten in the past. Uh, Something kind of interesting that Ruth Sin, the women's basketball coach said, they're doing a lot of film study right now to prepare for division one, where they're just watching division one teams and saying, breaking this down and saying, okay, what are we going to have to be prepared for? What are some of the main things we're going to have to do to be competitive in, in division one? And how do we start to plan for that now? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's easier in some than others, I imagine, and I'm sure they've they've kind of gone through this whole thing. But this is a massive undertaking. Um, maybe you know, maybe at this point, you can give, you know, give the listener a little bit of a recap of you know how we got here, but also like how long it's going to take for them to scale up in football and what that process even is, kind of along the way. Yeah, they are the first Division Three team that has ever been allowed to go directly to Division One. Uh, This started in May 2019 when they were pushed out of the MIAC, essentially for being too good. And the the league actually said that in their press release. I remember that. that. I believe athletic competitive parity, I believe was the euphemism that they used. And involuntarily removed was the euphemism that they used for kicking out. Yes. So that's where all of this started. And St. Thomas did study the idea of potentially finding another Division Three home or going to Division Two. And their study told them that Division One was just the right move for them, giving, given everything else that's going on at the university and what they aspire to. They felt that they were ready to make the Division One leap. It took quite a while to get the approval from the NCAA to make that leap. It helped measurably that the Summit League had already given them an invitation for men's and women's basketball and for most of the other sports. So this has been a a process going back 
to, we're getting in close to two years now that this has been going on. And a number of things have happened in the past several months. You know, you don't think about all the folks that have to, to be hired and, and all the things that, that, that you need to do. St. Thomas did not have that dedicated athletic fundraising arm before. They introduced that just this past October, a brand new fundraising arm set up just for sports to, to collect money for endowed scholarships and team support and all these, all these things are going to need. Their budget right now is roughly $5 million. And uh, Gene Taylor, the athletic director at Kansas State, who brought North Dakota State into Division I several years ago, he said that they will have to, to double that to, to 10 million very quickly. You know, you've got the scholarship expenses that you don't have at all in Division Three. You've got more travel expenses because you're not just driving. <laughs> like Ruth said, yeah. Sin said in our Sunday story, you can practically walk to McAllister. Well, now <laughs> they're going to have to fly to a lot of places. So they've got all these, these uh, expenses that they're going to have to do. They hired a development director for athletics. They've never had that. They've never had a dedicated athletic fundraiser. They've had to hire people in compliance that they had never had. They've had to expand their academic support staff. It is just an enormous undertaking. It would be kind of a power move if they ever played the Gophers in, say, basketball and flew from St. Paul to Minneapolis. That would be Absolutely. a, power, that would be a, a helicopter. Maybe. That, a helicopter, maybe. No, we're not yeah. going to do that. But that, that, the joking aside, though, I think a lot of the, a lot of people are curious how they fit in eventually. Maybe not right away, but like you know, this is a state that has only one other dedicated Division One athletic program across the board. They, you know, there's obviously some Division One hockey programs in in a lot of different schools here. But St. Thomas making the jump joins the University of Minnesota, and this was, you know, our state was one of. I think one of, if not the largest that only had the one division one university. Am I correct in that? I feel like Absolutely. there was an opening. I mean, for heaven's sake, you look just to our South. Iowa has four. I mean, a state of Iowa size, maybe got four division one universities. So it, it really was a whole, and that was a big part of the St. Thomas decision-making process, I believe was that they recognized there was some room here in this state for another division one university and particularly a, a private school like themselves. It, it's a whole new niche really for, for Minnesota. And how successful do you think they think they can be and how successful do you think they can be? I think that uh, they, they have pretty uh, reasoned expectations for for their first few years they are not expecting to go in and, and win any championships they recognize that it is going to be a ramping up process which will be tough for them because after all they did get thrown out of their current conference because they were so good and they've won my gosh the number is shocking they've won 516 saw, Mayak team championships I saw that in your Sunday story and I was like wow that's a lot mind-boggling just mind boggling. So they are trying to temper people's expectations and let them know this is a huge leap and, and it's going to take them some time. And I, I, I absolutely agree with that. I think in some sports, you know, things like track and field where they've got a really terrific uh, reputation and, and very well-developed programs. Some of those sports, maybe they can jump in and some of their individuals could do well fairly quickly. But I think sports like football, sports like basketball, soccer, it's probably going to, to take some time. You've got to build up those, those athletic rosters to a division one level. Are there barriers to, I can't remember, like, are they, can they even, 
if they were good enough, how long could it even be until they were in, say, a men's basketball championship after they joined Division One? It is a while. I, you know what? I don't remember off the top of my head how many years that is, but it, it is a process. You're considered a provisional member of Division One for your first several years. You have to make progress reports to the NCAA. They have to see how you're coming along. So you don't get to do championships right off the bat. You have, you have a waiting period. Do you think they will eventually develop a, a rivalry with, with Minnesota? Or do you feel like they're I'm sorry, University of Minnesota, or do you think their their natural rivals would be more schools of of their size and not so much geography based? I think they would like to have a rivalry with the Gophers. That's something that their fans have talked about. And I really do think they would enjoy that. It would be such a fun thing for our state. I think St. Thomas recognizes how much the fans would get into something like that, this kind of across town rivalry so i i absolutely think they're on board with with taking on the gophers when they can last thing for you then we'll wrap it up i think you said july is kind of when this officially happens what are i guess what are the next steps between now and then and then what you know once they flip the switch in july what are some of the key things to watch for so between now and then uh continuing to sign recruits continuing to raise money uh, we'll see some schedules starting to come out uh, when COVID does complicate everything. Course, so some yeah. of these, yeah, some of these things will have a little bit of a wrench thrown into them because of the COVID situation. But we'll see some some Summit League schedules come out. We'll see some uh, the Pioneer League football schedule come out. We'll see uh, the teams start to talk about uh, their their plans for for making these trips. We'll start to see about. Uh, Coaching changes. I think some of our staffs, many of the uh, assistant coaches at St. Thomas, there are some teams that have only had part-time assistant coaches. So now suddenly you'll have many more full-time assistant coaches and those staffs will expand out with, with other positions as well. They'll continue to add administration. So a, just a ton of hiring, a ton of expansion between now and then. And then when we get to the summertime, uh, I think volleyball and football will get started up. Those will be two of the first two sports to get going. Volleyball, St. Thomas has very good uh, history in, in that sport. So that'll be fun to see how they do right away. And I'm very interested to see how football does in the Pioneer League. I think it's a really good fit for them. It's a lot of schools that are very much like them. It is a non-scholarship league. So I think there will be more parity in terms of, of the type of athletes that St. That Thomas has compared to those other schools. So I, I think those two sports off the bat will be fun ones to watch. Lots to cover along the way. You've done a great job with this story and as have some of uh, our colleagues as well, but it's such, an, it's such a fascinating developing and ongoing story. So please follow Rachel's work, um, StarTribune, StarTribune.com as, uh, as we continue to, uh, to cover this. And Rachel, thank you again for joining me here today. You're welcome, Mike. Thanks. Great to catch up with Rachel and such an interesting story, you guys. I mean, a, t- a school trying to go from Division Three all the way to Division One in one jump. And, you know, the state we live in, you know, University of Minnesota, like we talked about on that interview, has been the only Division One athletic program across the board um, for forever, basically, for, for as long as, you know, sports have been classified that way, as long as there's been major sports, they've been the one. Adding another one to the mix, you know, even if it's not a quote-unquote power five school, even if it's in a different 
level will be really interesting. And I hope there is a rivalry between those two schools, especially in particular sports where you don't need a huge roster. I'd love to see them play each other in basketball. Love to see them develop, you know, some sort of volleyball relationship. You know, something where it's good for both schools and, you know, it develops into uh, a win-win on both sides uh, as, as we go along. Uh, AC out there in the flat. Is the ball thrown in the low? That, is, that isn't Snoker's fault. Yes, it is a new segment alert on the Daily Delivery podcast. You just heard Jerry Burns and his famous rant from a little over 30 years ago when the Vikings actually won 23-21 over the Rams. I was watching that game as a kid. They scored 23 points. They got seven field goals and one in overtime on a safety. Crowd booing offensive coordinator Bob Schnelker pretty much all game. That was the you know three or four second clip that is the cleanest from his post game rant defending Bob Schnelker. So what is this? What is this segment? Well, basically, I try to find people who are it's not their fault. Basically, whether they've been unfairly blamed for something or it's you know they're they're trying their best in the midst of a bad situation, and that is the case with the debut today. Not. Bob Schnelker's fault. Malik Beasley is your honorary winner of that right now. Malik Beasley of the Timberwolves, 30 points in Monday night's game, almost single-handedly wills the Wolves back into the contest by scoring 22 points in the fourth quarter against Dallas. Six three-pointers. It was his Hollywood Robinson game. Old Wolves fans will know exactly what I'm talking about, his old Hollywood Robinson game. He got them even closer. He got them within three points in the final minute with a couple other buckets, including a putback. It was like, I mean, this game was over. It was 105-82 to 82 with 10 minutes left. And next thing you know, it's 123-120 to 120 with 50 seconds left. And almost all of that is Beasley's doing. But he doesn't just get noticed here for his one game. It's more of a body of work thing than anything. This has not been a great season for the Timberwolves. We've talked about that ad nauseum, even in just the short time this podcast has been on, and certainly on the Randball blog on StarTribune.com. They're 6-18 and 18 this season. Um, I think there's some bright spots with the young players, but I think the clear-cut brightest spot, you know, among, at least among the more established players, at least among the most consistent, you know, consistent things they can count on this year, uh, Malik Beasley is that guy. He's been that guy so far this season. The, clearly their most consistent player, um, easily winning that in, in that regard. He was their leading rebounder last night. He has more defensive rebounds than anyone else on this team this season. He is a guard, everybody. He's a guard, and that is a guard leading them in rebounding, at least uh, defensive rebounding. Um, 75 made three-pointers, most on the team, shooting 38.5% from three-point range, um, shooting 52% from two-point range. Been very, very efficient score. 60 assists. Um, I'm just going to read off his, all of his stats, but I do want to note 24 games played out of 24. Only one of two Wolves players to appear in all 24 games this season. A um, lot of injuries and obviously covid um, disrupting the seasons for both Carl Anthony Towns and uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez. Um, other injuries, you saw D'Angelo Russell left last night's game uh, with a, you know, that leg injury flaring up. Malik Beasley, very durable. 
Um, leads the team in minutes played, 765. Next closest, Anthony Edwards at 645. He's played 120 minutes more than anybody else on the team. And these are not empty minutes. These are starters minutes. These are during the most meaningful parts of the game, trying to get the Wolves into a position to win. So there's a lot of reasons to blame the Wolves and uh, and, and be upset about this 6-18 and 18 start. Tell you one thing, though, it ain't Malik Beasley's fault. All right, let's end it with the cooler. Our Ben Gessling reporting that the Vikings are going to hire Clint Kubiak as their new offensive coordinator. He will be their sixth different offensive coordinator to start a season in the last six seasons. Quick tour of history. 2016, Norv Turner starts. 2017, Pat Shermer, 2018, John DeFilippo, 2019, Kevin Stefanski, 2020, Gary Kubiak, 2021 will be Clint Kubiak. You will notice the last names of those last two coordinators are the same. That is not by accident. Clint Kubiak is, of course, Gary Kubiak's son. This well might be a, a very good hire. I, 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 I don't doubt his credentials or his ability to do his job. I'm excited to talk to Ben Gessling about this a little bit more on Wednesday's podcast when he joins me to talk Vikings and Kubiak and salary cap. But, and I'm glad Jim Suhan wrote about this because I had it on my radar. I was actually going to do a little segment on it today regardless, but now you guys should go check out his column today. He wrote about this as well, but he, he had the stat that I was that I had, that had caught my eye a couple days ago. According to the NFL's 2020 Diversity Report, nine of the 32 NFL head coaches in the 2019 season were either the son or father of a current NFL head coach, coordinator, or position coach, and 63 of the league's coaches were related either biologically or through marriage, and 53 of those were white. An awful lot to unpack in everything there, but facts being what they are, Gary Kubiak's son, Clint Kubiak, gets this job. Clint Kubiak is 33. He very well might become a very good offensive coordinator. But there are undoubtedly candidates who were more established, at the very least, in this field. Their co-defensive coordinator is Adam Zimmer. He is the son of head coach Mike Zimmer. Not to say Adam Zimmer isn't qualified. Not to say that the sons of coaches don't have some sort of advantage in a certain way beyond this sort of cronyism. Uh, because they do grow up around the game. But it also would be silly to suggest that connections don't matter in this case. And obviously connections matter everywhere. But does that make it fair? Is that a is that a way to hire coaches at, at the highest levels of the NFL and of sports? I don't know that it is. It's it's a hard it's a hard one. I, I get it. I get why you would want to promote someone, you know, who is you care about um and obviously i think gary kubiak kind of paved the way for clint to have this job um it's just problematic when more qualified perhaps or certainly more experienced candidates are getting passed over with that out of the way though i am genuinely curious to see what kind of offense clint kubiak will bring to minnesota will it be a lot of the same concepts that they ran in 2020 when honestly they did have a very effective offense will he merge a little bit of newer thinking with uh, with his dad's other you know philosophies that he had brought down from numerous years there there could be a good marriage of ideas if Clint Kubiak does indeed 
uh, become the coordinator the Vikings hope he can become. At the very least, hopefully he provides some stability as a very young coordinator. You can imagine him, if he succeeds, being here, hey, maybe in 2022 as well. What about 2023? Maybe establishing a certain amount of continuity to allow the Vikings to actually build what they want to build on offense. That will do it for today's show. Like I said, Ben Gessling will join me on Wednesday to talk about all things Vikings, uh, Kubiak, uh, Viking salary cap, all those good things. Um, Some good surprises in store the rest of the week as well. Please uh, subscribe to this podcast, listen to it, um, read Star Tribune and StarTribune.com, and uh, I will join you again on Wednesday. (laughs) 